Captain Freeman. I guess this means you've had a good trip with your Dupla guest. It was exhausting. Between us, I can't get him off the ship fast enough. Um, the man is so emotionally fragile. Fragile? <gasps> was I too much trouble? No, 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 no. You were great. I love having you here. I was a bad guest. I'm so, so... <laughs> Oh, no! I duplicated! This is so embarrassing! No, it's it's fine! Nothing is more mortifying than duplicating! Transfer complete. Welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge... This is Tyler Orton, spinning the latest beats from DJ O'Connor. Cam, <laughs> they are outrageous. <laughs> Off the hook. And this week, we're here to talk about An Embarrassment of Duplers, the latest episode of Lower Decks. But I think before we talk about that, maybe some bigger... Maybe more exciting news on the horizon, Tyler? Yeah, well, just yesterday, September 8th, as we record on September 9th, uh, it was Star Trek Day, of course, celebrating the 55th anniversary, and there was, well, an embarrassment of news to share. Uh, Cam, uh, I'm curious, want to kick it off with the Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds news that came out? Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, so we got uh, confirmation, and I, I don't know how many people may have been uh, expecting this, but we're going to have a lot of legacy characters on the new show. We had introductions to uh, the new actresses playing Christine Chapel and Cadet Uhura, and they've kind of c- canonized it. That is one Niota uh, Uhura. So I'm very excited about that. I, I was a little bit cynical at first, but I'm like, you know what? Um, I think these characters have the kind of history with the crew as we know it. There's going to be a lot to play off of. Um, I I think this is going to be very exciting, very fun. Why did we not see this coming? Like, it seems like obvious in retrospect, right? Yeah. And like we were dreaming big that it was going to be the yeoman from like the cage. Like that to me was like the great legacy character we could be see, uh, could be seeing on this show. And I, I really did think that that character was going to pop up, but this was so much more exciting. And I mean, you know, having obviously Nurse Chapel and Uhura is exciting, but just having Dr. Mbenga on the show again, a character who showed up in two episodes of the original series in uh, Private Little War and That Which Survives, showing up as the Doctor. Look, my heart's broken. We don't have Dr. Boyce casting news to share with you all, but this was a pretty good uh, fill-in for that. Like, I was very excited by this. Well, remember we were discussing how it wasn't a great look for the show, trying to be progressive and all that, if all three of your leads are, you know, uh, just white people. And I, I think they really have kind of uh, come around and made sure that this is going to be kind of the diverse crew of Star Trek that we're used to. Um, yeah, I'm also curious, is it going to be a descendant of one Khan Noonien Singh serving aboard uh, the Enterprise Cam with, with confirmation that Christina Chong is playing La'an Noonien Singh? I guess so. I thought that was weird. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. It's weird. Um, like, okay, like, is this character a member of the crew? I guess, but like at the same time, I really do wonder because you know who is there for those original series movies? Like, she never perks up and is like, oh, actually, I, uh, I kind of know his descendant. Seems weird. Yeah. Seems yeah. weird. <laughs> 
Um, we also have confirmation that number one's uh, real name is not just Una, but Una Chin Riley. So I guess some book fans are excited about that. But I also do want to mention <laughs> uh, we have uh, some uh, kind of like uh, we've talked about it a while. Like we want an Andorian on the bridge. And they kind of went uh, sideways on that. And it's going to be like an Enar on the bridge based on the makeup that we saw here. But also the actor, we should point out, uh, one Bruce Horak. Uh, he's a cancer survivor um, and he is uh, you know, visually impaired at this point. I, I believe blind in one eye and reduced vision in the other. And um, it kind of makes sense with the Enar and that's, uh, they're known for uh, being blind. And why not hire one of those actors that can actually play that? It, it is kind of very smart casting. I'm very, I, I just like the look of Hammer with kind of the updated Andorian slash Enar look going for it. We've been waiting for this for such a long time. So I'm super, super excited about this character. And this one is really exciting because I think you and I would have been super excited just to have an Andorian on the bridge. Like that, we would have walked away happy. But the fact it's an Enar that we can, you know, jump off of that three-parter from Enterprise and continue to expand developing the Enar, I think that is what makes me really excited because I already know a fair amount about Andorians. This I don't know a lot. So I like that they're not just kind of falling back on Star Trek's greatest hits. Some of these things, it's a little bit of the wait and see, like the, uh, you know, Descendant of Khan. But with this character, I mean, Hammer, uh, I'm really excited about we have another brand new character, not a legacy character, one Lieutenant Erica Ortegas. Um, you know, blank slate. I, I'm ready to kind of uh, find out what this character is all about. It's going to be interesting uh, moving forward. I, I don't have that much more to say just because honestly, like with the Star Trek Day news, we just got like very, very brief introductions to all these characters. They were on screen, what, each of them, maybe a total of three seconds? Yeah, uh, not much. But honestly, the Ahura news just genuinely blew me away. Because uh, I just really didn't see that. I thought, I mean, I never saw Dr. Mbenga showing up on the show. But, like, when they announce it, it's like, oh, that's the kind of cool um, canon character with not a lot of exposure that you can get something out of. Like, that's cool for them to do. Wouldn't have seen it, but it makes sense. Uhura, I really did think those types of characters, you know, her, Sulu, might be off the table. And it really does open the doors for, as the show keeps going... Does Scotty show up? Does, um, you know, uh, does Sulu get to work in botany in an episode? Like, the kind of the doors are open now. Well, I, I'm kind of happy with the idea of maybe it being like a rotating group of people. Like, it's Cadet Uhura. Like, maybe mm -hmm. she's only on for one season, and there's the opportunity in future seasons for her to drop in for an episode or two. And then we can rotate other folks, like you said, you know, like maybe like a Scotty or something like that. And and we'll get closer and closer to the era where people like Kirk and Bones would be populating the ship as well. And maybe a Gary Mitchell. Uh, yeah, that actually does make sense. Uh, Mike McMahon, during like Star Trek Day, he was talking a lot, and I mean a lot, about his love for Gary Mitchell. So maybe <laughs> that's broken through uh, to the other writers' rooms. I don't know. Now, is this love somewhat ironic? Do you think people genuinely love Gary Mitchell? I think he's more intrigued by the concept of Gary Mitchell. Yeah, because he is sort of the first big bad in Star Trek and only has that one episode is iconic with the silver eyes, but there's not a lot there. So I could totally see people, um, you know, creators this many years later looking at him going, Hmm, maybe there's some more there to explore. But okay. Uh, let me pose this to you. Uh, there was not a lot there 
with regards to Commander Arium until she had her showcase episode in uh, the second season of Discovery, but people were on board with that character, like that distinct look. There's just something about a character that uh, carried it, and I maybe Lower Decks uh, creator Mike McBann that, that just had that same effect uh, when it comes to Gary Mitchell and him. Well, it's quite possible, for sure. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, and that could go for a lot of the original series where you had these characters that showed up for one episode and became these iconic visuals that have been on merchandise for 50 years onwards. I think that that series in particular really just opens the floodgates for reimagination with these new shows. So i got to ask you, Cam, just with regards to the new uniforms as we got to see them. Okay, so we've got uh, the, the Cage version, the original series version, then we had the 2009 version of those uniforms. They got updated for Into Darkness and then for Beyond. We saw them updated yet again on Star Trek Discovery. Um, this is now the seventh iteration of the original series uniforms. <laughs> um, what do you think of just kind of the slight adjustments that they made here? I like them. I think they're pretty snazzy. They don't look updated for the sake of being updated in the way that the 2009 ones did a little bit. I remember attending cons in the wake of the 2009 movie, and you did not see that many fans wearing those 2009 and Into Darkness uniforms. Um, these look cooler to me, but they also evoke the original series in a way that I think is really effective. I don't really need to see dead-on replicas from the cage, because those ones are a little, a little iffy. They probably wouldn't look too cool now on screen. Yeah, and I also noticed that Uhura and Number One, they have these kind of zip-up jumpsuit sort of stylings, which I really dig the look of that. And there's these contrasting colors on the sides of their uniforms, kind of black on their uh, section uh, colors as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm digging what they're doing with the costuming here. It's, it, it, like you said, it doesn't seem like updating for the sake of it, and they, they keep it kind of simple. I think they were getting a little bit complex with the updates that we saw in Beyond. I remember I, that you were more of a fan of the Beyond updates than I was, but um, I just want to put it on the record. I will totally do cosplay in uh, Cadet James Kirk from Star Trek uh, 2009. Like, that is totally my thing with uh, <laughs> just the black shirt and the rubbed out combat. Yeah, I like the black shirt, actually. That was a cool idea. But um, I think with the uniforms, too, like, I know that some fans will kind of raise their eyebrows because they don't match the cage or even, you know, the episode Where No Man Has Gone Before, those early um, Enterprise uniforms. But, like... I really believe that like had costume creators back in the 60s had the abilities and the technology they have now, they would probably do something a little more visually dynamic than they had in those episodes. So in my mind, I can alter the, you know, the canon of what Star Trek is in my head that, well, this is just the same thing. We're just seeing it, you know, obviously with updated technology. I, I was curious because like, okay, so as the panels were unfolding last night, um, you know, uh, Rebecca Romaine really, really emphasized, and uh, as did Akiva Goldsman, and, and then later on Anson Mount, the episodic nature of the show. Like mm -hmm. I, I, I was kind of wondering, like how just how episodic it was going to be. They've said before, well, yeah, it's going to be kind of character arcs, but episode to episode, they made it very clear. It, like Discovery is the serialized show; we are the episodic show, and I really do like what they're telling us and I, I i'm even that much more excited based on what the panel was telling us last night well i remember watching csi back in the day i was a big csi fan 
And, like, I was really involved in the Gil Grissom Sarasidal arc. And, like, that continued for multiple seasons. It's a procedural show. It's episodic. You can tune in any week. But the character journeys are what kept me coming back week after week. That's the kind of thing I'm hoping for here. Um, I want, like, Anson Mount and, you know, um, you know, Una going down on planets, having these individual TOS-style missions. But... Keep the character arcs going. I think that is what matters. And I think, honestly, that's what fans will connect to a lot more than trying to find out, you know, the <laughs> the purple angel for the season or something like that. <laughs> the purple angel. I like it. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I just think about season two of Discovery, and I think the strongest episode, I, I don't know if it's a coincidence, but the strongest episode, in my opinion, was If Memory Serves. And I think that was more episodic in nature because it's so focused on Pike's own journey. And I'm very curious about Pike as this tragic character moving forward. Like we know his fate and the character knows his fate as well. And I'm wondering like what kind of tension like that will bring, you know, cause there's always a sense of whether or not we can be the ones that choose our own sorts of fortunes or if destiny is all that. And is this guy just going to walk into what destiny awaits or is he going to try to push back? We will ultimately know what the canon version of that is. But um, I just, I think there's going to be like this interesting tension underneath this character. I think Anson Mount proved uh, last season of discovery in season two, he's got the chops to pull that off. And I think also when you look at all the other captains outside of the modern era, there's a little bit of distance the viewer has with them, which is why I think we see them in such with such awe, whether it's Picard or Kirk or Janeway. Um, when you have a show like Discovery, when it's geared entirely around Burnham, you kind of don't have that awe factor because you're so much in you're in the head of that character episode to episode. Whereas I think um, Anson Mount, little tiny bit aloof, and I think that actually aids in terms of how we see that captain. I think this could be much more of that classic inspiring captain that we haven't had in a while. The other thing uh, I, I, I want to point out though, is you, you saw me on WhatsApp. I was commenting on things in real time. And then when we saw the image of kind of the updated Spock look, it, it's not that drastic of an update, but I was kind of remarking like, oh, they gave him more of a wavy bowl cut. And then I was on, you know, kind of the, the websites and people were commenting how it, it's really actually closer to the haircut that he had during the cage so mm -hmm. I, I think that's kind of like an interesting nod to continuity and i've come around more on his look but uh, ethan peck during the panel he's also pointing out that um he's actually had like uh, many an opportunity to go look through his little science viewer um which was not included on the discovery sets that was uh, used in the season finale of season two and they, they also made it clear like they they built brand new sets here like these aren't kind of just like folding the discovery sets and moving them across town in Toronto. Like these are new sets. And it, from what I, I heard from the panel that they seem very, very immersive. So I, I'm, I'm intrigued by what this updated look for the enterprise spells for us moving forward. I mean, the Star Trek franchise now is cranking out a lot of different shows. And I think you and I are looking for something to latch onto to get genuinely super excited for. And like, for me right now, it is strange new worlds. It is the promise of what this show can do. And, the casting announcements, the new looks of everything. This is really, I mean, my heart will be broken if this show doesn't deliver. Um, I, I want to jump over to Picard, but was there any last thing you wanted to note about Strange New Worlds? I don't think so. I'm just desperate to see it. That, that's really all yes. I have. It's just, I'm really, really um, eager to see it. And we're going to talk, I think, about some of the trailers for the upcoming Star Trek shows. And quite honestly, I'd push them aside in favor of seeing Strange New Worlds a little bit, you know, a little bit sooner. <laughs>
Yeah, I, I can't disagree with you there. Um, I'll, I'll just jump right into it. Uh, Star Trek Picard uh, trailer dropped. You and I were actually looking forward to uh, that series after we were a little bummed out by season one. We thought that based on the teaser trailer, it looked like it had a lot of potential here. Um, you and I both watched it and we both kind of uh, gritted our teeth to a certain degree, I, I, but I think it's for different reasons. I didn't really expand on it during my live commentary uh, with you last night. Mm. Um, you kind of expanded on it. I, I, let, what are your thoughts? And then I'll explain why I'm maybe a little bit worried about this. So I'm a little iffy on this because the show could turn out very differently than what we're seeing marketed. But when you start presenting me with it's an alternate, you know, grim future, and I'm seeing a lot of imagery that reminds me of the kinds of things we saw in the mirror universe on discovery. And it's obviously not the mirror universe, but it has that same sort of totalitarian feel, um, that sort of fascist vibe. I go, Ooh, like, is this going to be that kind of edginess for the sake of edginess? We got a lot of on discovery. Um, I hope not. I'm hoping it maybe is a little bit closer to like what we saw, um, you know, in the Voyager episode, Living Witness, where it's more of an aesthetic. We could just explore the characters and follow Picard through here. But it made me nervous. And just the idea of a 10-episode arc of this was, it definitely made me gulp. Yes. I watched this trailer, and I was like, oh, good God, they're going back in time. And Picard's saying, we have only three days to save the timeline. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, wow. So this is kind of like the typical thing that we've seen in Star Trek millions of times before. No pun intended, but it's, you know, they go back into 1985 San Francisco or they go back into 1875 San Francisco and they just don't know how to interact with society. Oh, no, it's 1996 Los Angeles. You know, it's just like, let the, let the jokes begin. And, oh, look, now we're in, you know, 21st century uh, Los Angeles on Star Trek Picard and seven of nine doesn't know how to drive an suv har 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 hmm. i can, can, like you were saying like can we watch 10 episodes of this in a row do you remember when we did the two-parter for times arrow and there was like the nugget that like they wanted to do more episodes of times arrow like they wanted to be like i think five episodes or something like that <laughs> the higher-ups were like no it's a two-parter you know I, I i'm kind of missing that sort of restraint here uh who knows maybe we watch episodes one and two of picard season two and we're like i want to spend eight more episodes in this world but it's the sort of thing that could get old quickly um I wish I could say I had faith in the Picard showrunners and, you know, writers, but season one, and there is a showrunner shift, I should say, but like, um, season one didn't fill me with a lot of confidence, so I don't have the faith I would have, like, say this was like, you know, DS9 season eight, with all the writing staff who made that show, I'd be like, okay, give them the benefit of the doubt. Picard hasn't earned that yet. I agree. And I don't think my interest lays in watching a show called Star Trek have an entire season take place in 21st century Los Angeles. Like you just, that, that's not Star Trek, you know, like I can understand like one episode down there, you know, like having fun with all those kind of like gimmicks, those comedy bits that we have seen a million times before, but I, I want them out there like discovering strange new worlds. I, I want Picard using diplomacy and that sort of stuff. Um, I don't think we're going to get that though. And I'm kind of bummed out because I think the teaser trailer made us very, very intrigued, you know, with this alternate timeline. 
But now it just looks like a ripoff of the Mir universe. I'm just like, ah, like, are, are these, you've got Patrick Stewart at your disposable, or at your disposal, I should say. Hmm. Um, maybe the series is just disposable. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, but, and you've got one of the most iconic characters ever in, in television in Picard. And, and these are the adventures and the missions that you're giving him. I'm just kind of like shrugging right now. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope I am eating crow by the time February arrives. I mean, the thing is, I've reached a place where you kind of just have to accept that they've done Picard pretty iffy in the past. You know, whether you look at Nemesis or Insurrection, like, those are not great Picard stories. What about Christmas in the Nexus? <laughs> Crawling through those rocks. Yeah, uh, so it's not like Picard has been seamless in terms of what we've seen on screen leading up to Star Trek Picard. So... I feel like right now, all I can really do is look for the moments. Look for those inspiring Jean-Luc Picard moments that made TNG so special. And try to find them in sort of this sea of modern storytelling that doesn't... Nothing on Star Trek Picard so far blends with the world of what I've seen on TNG. And I'm doing a TNG rewatch right now. It's just the gulf in terms of storytelling, in terms of just who the character, you know, is even like feels like on screen. It's just so different. So I'm just kind of hoping for moments. But that said, season one Picard didn't give me many all-time great Picard moments. So I, 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 I don't know anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean... For me, I like the Data and Picard goodbye scene. Like, mm -hmm. that's, you know, but that, Beyond after that, that is yeah. there anything else? <laughs> um, I'll have to go look through all my notes from uh, the, those 10 episodes at this point, you know. So. Bonjour! <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just, I, I look, I, I hope for the best. I will expect the worst, but uh, that's where we leave it right now. I, I just wish they were doing something a little different. Um, if they bring back Sarah Silverman's character from uh, the Voyager 2 parter in Los Angeles, um, that would be perfection to me, though. Oh, is that Rain Robinson? The entire, yeah, Rain Robinson. Bring her back. That will salvage the entire uh, season one or season two of Star Trek Picard. There's got to be some surprises because, you know, they're marketing here, Q and the Borg Queen. We know Guinan's coming back. There's got to be at least a surprise or two along the way, because we didn't see Alton soon showing up on season one. So I have to imagine there's something in their back pocket that will, you know, shake shake fans up at some point. It's Rain Robinson. <laughs> and there was Norwegian sailors or Norwegian uh, whale hunters from uh, Star Trek The Voyage Home. Yes, and bring back Moose Riker while you're at it. Okay. Um, Cam, uh, I, I, I want to jump over to Star Trek Prodigy. Uh, we saw a trailer for it, um, like, like kind of the, the full trailer. Yeah. Uh, the Adventures with the Protostar. I, every bit and piece I, I see more and more of, whether it is the opening theme, uh, the theme song, um, the teaser trailer, now the full-length trailer, I'm getting more and more intrigued and excited about what uh, this children's show is going to offer. They're, they're going to do a one-hour premiere. You and I will definitely have a review up for that uh, on the podcast. Um, and then we'll decide uh, how we want to tackle a show. It might be, you know, maybe we just do it every other week, every third week or something. But um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of in for whatever this show is going to be at this point. What I appreciated about the trailer, and I don't know if the trailer worked quite as well for me, but what I did admire about it was when you watch that trailer, it doesn't feel like Star Trek cliches. It feels like an adventure series using Star Trek that's not something I've seen before, which makes me far more interested in watching it. Like, had it just been 
a bridge set show like so many Star Trek shows, I don't know that it would be like, oh, that is a show I can't wait to watch. Whereas this one, I go, this looks weird. Um, can't wait to see what that is, I guess. Yeah, look, it seems as if it was, it's taking place in the Star Trek universe that uh, has been built over the last 55 years. Whereas we look at Picard and we're like, this feels like an entirely different sci-fi show than what was built before. And, and except you name drop a couple aliens, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. So um, I, I, if they hit the same spirit of uh, previous iterations without just being derivative, then I think, you know, mission accomplished. I, I think uh, Lord Dex has been able to do that. And uh, it's just funny that we've been going in different directions with the first two live action series. And um, we're, we're very, very excited for Strange New Worlds. And I don't know, I, as long as, it's, as it has that Star Trek feel, and I know that changes from series to series and everybody complains about the new series. Like, that's not real Star Trek. I get it. I, I sound like a cliche at some points when I'm, making my critiques but um i don't know I, I i'm down for prodigy we also found out that it has a uh series premiere date for october 28th so it's not too far away and it looks as if we're gonna have like a lot of stuff to cover between that picard and of course uh discovery coming up yeah no kidding definitely a lot of stuff to cover and one thing i think is actually really interesting about prodigy is that we're going to be looking at the delta quadrant aliens which in a different world, like, I don't know that we're revisiting a lot of those species that they spent a lot of time fleshing out. I think Prodigy is really snatching an opportunity to exploit a lot of those characters and alien species that, you know, I don't know, we're going to be going back there in Discovery or Picard or Strange New Worlds. It seems unlikely. So let's dig back into, you know, the, <laughs> the Kazon and the Malon and all the greatest hits. The Voth, the Voth. Mm, the Voth, yeah, the Vidians. There's a lot there. Do you think the Vidians are made for children, though? Yes, 100%. I think we okay. need the Vidians scarring a whole generation of children because children have it too easy. You know, my generation grew up watching movies like The Dark Crystal and Gremlins. I want children being <laughs> tossing and turning with nightmares from seeing the Vidians on Star Trek Prodigy. <laughs> Okay, I am with you there. I, you, you've convinced me. Um, so it, it will be curious how we tackle kind of uh, Prodigy and Discovery, perhaps simultaneously, because Discovery is going to premiere November 18th. So we'll have, I, what does that roughly put us about episode four of Prodigy? Yep. Uh, you and I, we were kind of deflated by the end of season three of Discovery. Um, the teaser hasn't really done much to get us excited, but I don't know, maybe you and I, one week we'll do discovery, uh, two episodes. The next week we'll review two episodes of prodigy. Maybe that could be kind of the, um, ideal way we go about it. But uh, honestly, if both prodigy and discovery managed to blow us away, uh, with the direction that they're going in the respective seasons, I think we're down to cover both of them each week. That's a good point, and actually, you could look at it as Star Trek Overkill, having two shows going at the same time, but I think one of the things that became a real drag for me with Discovery Season 3 was just like, this is what I have for new Star Trek every week. This show is not working, and it's just kind of a slog to get to the end. Whereas if I have Prodigy, which is an entirely different energy vibe, at least I can bounce back and forth between the two. That's That's something. I, I think that's going to be kind of, you want something to look forward to, and I think that's kind of what you're uh, spelling out there uh, as well. Uh, please, God, turn Discovery around. Like, I just, I don't want another season like season three. That's all I ask. 
we want like a compelling character-based adventure and i don't know if this serialized format is necessarily what you're looking for because the problem is if your big serialized story is not that compelling um that's a, a big burden to play solely on the characters especially if it's a serialized television show and i think if it's a character-based show like we got with other star trek shows i, I mean it, it's easier because you're going from adventure to venture but like huge imagine um if cam season two of deep space nine it was 26 episodes straight of bajoran politics like <laughs> it would be I, your I would favorite season of star trek of all time <laughs> i personally would love it but i would see a lot of people abandoning ship uh if that was the case would barail get a season-long arc barail would be in the main credits at that point uh, along with kai Opaka. He would, he would. Oh my god. Oh, I'm sorry, Kai Win. <laughs> no, no, Kai Opaka's coming back from the dead She's for that season. She's coming back from the dead. Yeah, yeah okay. no, I think I can justify this. Her um, paw is that strong. Yeah, and I, I, you know, you and I, we have friends who are Star Trek fans. We attend cons, not lately, unfortunately. But nonetheless, do you hear people talk about the Red Angel arc? Do you hear people talk about um, the Lorca twist? Like, I don't really pick up a lot of chatter about these actual season-long arcs. Whereas if you ask people about the Zindi War, if you ask them about the Dominion War, they perk right up. Oh, yeah. You know, that's... I don't know. Like, we, next time we're at a Star Trek convention, hopefully maybe this spring in Chicago or else maybe uh, next summer in Las Vegas. Let's just go around asking people about uh, their favorite moments about the Red Angel arc. Let, let, just as an experiment. And they're like the what? <laughs> the purple angel, you mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So I, I think that might be a good test because I, I know there's a lot of people that really love Discovery, and I'm not trying to uh, tell you you're wrong if you enjoy Discovery, but it does feel to me, at least as someone who's an, on the outside of the fandom of these arcs, that they don't connect in the same ways as some of these more beloved arcs did. But I, I go back to something like New Eden, which was, a, I think it was episode two of season two of Discovery, and we were super excited because it, it seemed like one of those classic adventures. Uh, little did we know that there was a lot of behind-the-scenes um, commotion going on with regards to the showrunners, and that one seemed more like a fluke. And all of a sudden we have like this arc going on that I, like, I don't even know who was the captain of the vessel. And I mean that more metaphorically, not literally in the sense of Star Trek, but uh, who's the captain of the vessel of that particular Red Angel story. It just seemed very, very hard to follow. And I, I wasn't necessarily invested in what was going on. Uh, yeah, New Eden was a great episode. Although as soon as you said that, my initial thought was, did he just say the way to Eden? <laughs> and I was wondering, <laughs> what arc were you following for that episode? I would like a uh, a space hippie arc to be the crux of season three of uh, Star Trek Picard, which was confirmed uh, during Star Trek Day. So we already knew that they already began filming season three uh, just in the past week or so, but uh, it has been confirmed that it's coming up. Do you think season three is the end or are we going to keep going with Picard? It is 100% the end. I, I will bet you a, a, you know, a brick of gold press latinum um, that's, that, that's why they're filming it back to back they they kind of want to wrap up the story let you know patrick stewart loose and hopefully they give him a good send-off um based on ooh, the output from those writers so far i 
don't think that's necessarily <laughs> going to happen, but I, I want to be proven wrong. I literally do. Like, Cam, I want to see good Star Trek. I, I don't want to, like, just sit there and stew and be one of those cranky fans that doesn't like things for kind of, like, lame reasons. Like, you and I, I, I don't think our criticisms uh, about these shows, it, it, they don't rest on, like, the the non-canon style of like uh, holographic view screens or you know different uniform styles it, it's more about the storytelling stuff and i think we're giving like fair criticisms for these stories and i also think the door is always open that you and i are here raving about picard season two or discovery season four i don't think we uh, you know determine our headset for how these shows are going to be and go nope i'm not on board and then let's cover it week to week and torture ourselves well, I'll give you an example. Like, uh, you turned me around on Star Trek Enterprise. Like, I was one of those fans that didn't like the show. You kind of said, give it give it another shot. Go in with an open mind. And I did so. And guess what? I, I, I uh, Enterprise is amazing. I, I think season four is one of my favorite seasons of Star Trek. Like, that's how, like, kind of flexible I am. It, you know, I, I think a, a show can totally turn itself around. And I can be all, all in on it. And I'll, I'll, I'll even say this. I found that binge watching season one of Picard is more enjoyable than watching it week to week. I just don't think that show lends itself to weekly viewing. I, I think that's another way that I've already turned myself around on uh, Star Trek Picard season one. I don't know if I'm quite ready to uh, go back and rewatch um, season three of Discovery yet, just because how, um, if I have to be honest, like boring, I, I found that season and uncompelling, but I will do it. And maybe my feelings will change about uh, how maybe binge watching is better for season three of Discovery. Yeah, uh, I'm. I hesitate to say looking forward to the season three Discovery rewatch, but I will do it at some point. I haven't bought the Blu-rays yet, though, and that's something in the past I have done, where I bought Discovery seasons one and two right away. You know, I'm somewhat of a um, <laughs> obsessive completist. I have all of my seasons up on the shelf, but I haven't been able to pull the trigger on season three Discovery yet. It'll probably happen, though, when the price drops. I, I hate to break it to you, Cam, but they are not going to release those on VHS. So you, you <laughs> might as well just pull the trigger. I want laser discs. <laughs> okay, yes, yes. Um, yeah, Cam, any, any more Star Trek news before we uh, jump into an embarrassment of Duplers? I don't think so. Um, but overall, you know, you watched more of the actual coverage than I did. What was your just take on Star Trek Day coverage? It was all over the place, and like there were high heights and very low lows. I loved it whenever the orchestra came in, even though like the mixing, the sound mixing was a little weird at times, and which some of the strings were way like they sound like out of tune at at, at moments. But I don't think it was that. I just think that um, with regards to how I'm used to listening to those songs performed originally, like the strings didn't quite match in, in like the little flourishes that Jeff Russo was trying to add in there. Um, and also the brass section was uh, a little bit too loud. Um, uh, look, this is me being the nerdy, nitpicky Star Trek fan right now. Mm -hmm. um, but those orchestral moments were great. Uh, there are some panels where if you've been to a Star Trek convention, you've kind of heard the same stories before. Um, don't ever put George Takei on a panel in which he has to share the stage with other people. That man will just talk and talk and talk. And that is what he did when he was sharing the stage with Rod Roddenberry, Gene Roddenberry's son, LeVar Burton, Gates McFadden. He just kind of sucked all the time away from them to talk about the history of uh, syndicated television, Cam. Um, <laughs> it, it was like, like it, it was not needed. Uh, I know it's sacrilege for me to take aim, but I, I'm just being honest. Um, and then we had like kind of hosts there. Uh, like uh, we had um, 
uh, LeVar Burton's daughter. I, I feel like an idiot. I'm blanking on her name. Uh, but she was kind of um, moderating a lot of these panels, as was Will Wheaton. Uh, they both did good jobs there. But there was, you know, it's a live show. There's going to be some awkward moments when, you know, um, uh, moderator um, Ms. Burton said, we've got a surprise in the audience. And everybody on this Strange New Worlds panel just looked at each other and they had no idea what she was talking about. And then <laughs> she's just got a blank stare. Nobody knew what was going on. And then I guess Adam Nimoy eventually stood up and waved or something. Like, no, like there, there were awkward moments there. And um, finally, I'll, I'll just, I will take aim at um, th- these kind of hosts that they had in the show. And that they were there kind of like uh, on the red carpets and, and chatting people up. And they were also there to kind of like uh, fill time as they're resetting the stage or getting other panelists to come up. But there was a, an extended period where it was very clear that there were long delays going on behind the scenes. And they were filling time and their lack of Star Trek knowledge. And I don't want to be one of those gatekeepers, you know, one of those gatekeeping fans. Hmm. But it was just like I, I felt as, as if maybe the producers put these uh, two people in kind of an unwinnable situation in, in which they're there to fill time and their knowledge of Star Trek isn't that great. And they don't necessarily, it's obviously they don't necessarily know who Nurse Chapel is. Uh, they don't get any references to Captain Picard Day. Uh, one of them admitted she had never seen Star Trek Discovery before. And um, I was just like, ooh, like I, I wish the producers did not set them up to fail. And maybe for a lot of people, they didn't really fail. And like it wasn't that bad, but there were moments, Cam. I, I sent you the video where one of them was doing like this weird, weird, weird voice for a long time. And I was just like, whoa, what am I watching here? So um, overall, I I think it's worth a, a watch. Like if you're doing it live, I don't know, Cam, necessarily if you need to go back and watch, you know, uh, two and a half hours of this. Yeah, I watched the clips you sent and it definitely looked like people flailing in the wind. I'll just yes. leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but look, I, I wish them. I, they, I wish them the best of luck, and like they're going to pursue Star Trek as fans, and they're they're newer to the franchise, so good on them. And uh, I, I I'm sure when they come back for um, the 60th anniversary of Star Trek, that uh, their knowledge will be uh, full and complete of Star Trek, and they'll do a very serviceable job ne- next time. And we'll be there to check in with it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be there to be the very judgy boys. We'll be like um, Statler and Waldorf from the Muppets at that point. We'll certainly look like that. <laughs> we already do. True, true. Pandemic's been tough. <laughs> it has. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so should we move on to Lower Decks then, the latest episode, An Embarrassment of Duplers? Yeah, l- l- uh, for me, I-, I put this one squarely in the middle of the season. I, I-, I put it on par with episodes two and three. I... I, there's some moments that kind of uh, really gripped me and we've complained about like say some of the action stuff that doesn't work for us there was like an extended action sequence where they had like a first part of it that i thought was actually thrilling animated action there was a beautiful gorgeous like single shot of them moving in 3d uh, on this car chase and then they cut to something else and i'm like oh okay and then they cut back to the action sequence again and again i was just like oh it is worn out. It's welcome. But overall, uh, I, I think this is a, a, a good episode. It's uh, We're halfway through season one of Lower Decks, though, and um, I just thought it was going to be taking itself to the next level after the second half of season one. And uh, maybe I mentioned season one. I meant to say season two. But I uh, I don't know. I, I would say that this uh, first half of season two is stronger than the first half of season one, but not quite as strong as the last half of season one, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you there. This one, 
this episode in particular didn't really work for me. I think this was maybe the one I laughed. I didn't laugh at all in this episode, and I watched it twice. Because sometimes, you know, the first time you go, ah, maybe I just missed something. And even the second time through, I was like, this just really isn't working. A lot of the Dupler comedy of this alien species that duplicates, it's like one joke, just repeated over and over and over again. And it invites a lot of comparisons to the Tribble stories. But, like, the joke of the Tribble stories is that the episode isn't about Tribbles. It's about all the things going on around the Tribbles and how the Tribbles interfere with this. Whereas here, it's just all about the Dupler stuff. And it's just not that funny. And... I referred to this one when I was done watching it the first time as housekeeping the episode. As it's like, okay, we've got to pay off the Mariner Boimler, um, you know, kind of story in terms of him leaving for the Titan, as well as also the um, season one Rutherford getting his implant torn out and losing his memory. We've got to just kind of resolve those two stories from before. And it didn't particularly do it in ways that I was particularly gripped by. I will say I thought there was some good heart. I liked the moment at the end of them carving their names in the table. In terms of just like paying off sort of the character stuff, it was fine. But in terms of the comedy, I thought it was pretty weak. I will say this. Um, the the exchange between Freeman and the Dupler uh, in which he says, no need to feel embarrassed. And he replies, wait. That's what someone says when you should be embarrassed. Like that, to me, that made me laugh, of course. But Cam, I got a question for you. How come Richard Kind, the, the voice of the Dupler, how come he was never in Star Trek back in the 90s or even during like, kind of the Enterprise era? This man seems as if he was made for like kind of one of those dopey aliens on Star Trek. He has to have been the runner-up for the Jason Alexander role, right? In Think Tank? Could have been. It could have been, yeah. <laughs> uh, I could picture him as even kind of a, a, a Neelix as well. Totally, I... I wonder if he ever tried out for Star Trek. It wouldn't shock me at all if he had of, because he would seem like someone who would be on a similar roster as an Ethan Phillips for jobs. I could see that. Yeah. Well, uh, I think, weren't they both in, um, oh no, uh, Ethan Phillips was in uh, uh, Llewellyn Davis, and then uh, Richard Kind was in uh, uh, A Serious Man, right? They weren't ever in the same Coen Brothers movies, were they? I don't think so, no. Okay. But they have both both worked with the Coen brothers, so there you go. Yeah, yeah. as has uh, one Robert Picardo in Hail Caesar. So uh, maybe there's all this these kind of Star Trek uh, uh, connections uh, there. But um, yeah, I, I just think he was kind of great in that role. We also got Tom Kenny, you know, how everyone knows as SpongeBob SquarePants, as Melvis, um, the, uh, you know, uh, Beckett Mariner's rival, and um, I that guy's like just kind of uh, a legend among voiceover artists, and so I I, I hope that we see um, this SpongeBob SquarePants uh, sort of uh, <laughs> alien return at some point. But um, overall, uh, you know, I I think there's some I, I think about this episode, and, like there there's some moments, like a lot of moments that work for me. Um, I, I the reference to Captain Shelley or Shelby, I should say. Yeah. And um, did you notice who her number one was? No. I mean, uh, the alien design looked familiar, but tell me, who who was it specifically? I, I was scratching my head for the longest time. Like, why do I recognize that alien design? I, and I could not place it. And it hit me. It was actually the early design for Saru. Oh, crazy. Yeah, that's a real deep cut. That is one of the wildest sort of shout outs to Star Trek fandom that we've ever seen up until this point. So I thought that was kind of cool. But please, I, I want to see Adventures of Captain Shelby in, in animated form if we can't get it in live action, though, at this point. Like, that would be amazing. 
they have to bring her back at some point. That is a character that Star Trek did wrong because she's way too good in Best of Both Worlds to ignore. And the fact that they never brought her back is a real crime. She should be like maybe in the Picard era. Maybe she's even Admiral Shelby at this point. And that, that could be kind of a fun shout out. Yeah. She still goes to the Star Trek conventions. She should be down for it. Yeah. I don't. When was the last time we saw her? It's been quite a while, I think. Oh, uh, at a convention? Yeah. Um, Probably like three or four years, I'd say. Okay. Yeah. Not too, not too long ago. Yeah. We need to make that happen. Bring back um, <laughs> Star Trek Shelby. That should be the next show on the air. Um, I was also, like, scratching my head if Captain Exley was a character, but no, he's not a pre-existing character. You, you just like the uh, the gizmo-like number one that uh, was sitting on his shoulder? Yes, I did. I thought that was pretty funny. That was pretty good, yeah. Um, I also like the reference to the new Deep Space Nine model and Rutherford going, it comes with an Ezri and a Jedzia. <laughs> did you find that story, though, for Rutherford and Tendi a little thin? Oh, absolutely. That was my least favorite parts. Um, yeah. It is really kind of the Boimler and the Mariner stuff. Like, I, I, I know what you're saying. It felt a little like housekeeping, but I, I did not want them to sweep that under the rug. And I, I'm glad that they addressed that. And as you said, like, I, I really like the moment when they're at the bar and they were kind of looking at the Kirk and Spock having scratched their names. And obviously those two chaps were not cool enough to get invited to that big uh, party on Starbase 25 at the at the time. But they eventually ascended within, uh, you know, Star Trek, or I should say Starfleet uh, lore. So there you go. And also the fact they set up at the end, the Cerritos crew, you know, having Captain Freeman there, that as much as this show shows <laughs> a lot of antagonism between Freeman and, you know, some of her other officers and then Mariner, it's kind of cool to see them all gathered there at the party. Actually, they may be a little prickly at work, but they do enjoy each other's company. Well, I, I, absolutely. And, and like, I, I, so I wonder what this portends to their relationship moving forward. I still see them kind of uh, ribbing each other, trolling each other. Uh, you know, uh, that's kind of what their component constitution of, of their relationship is. But I wonder if there's going to be this moving forward, like th this closeness that they did not share in the preceding 15 episodes. I think this show could do more emotional things because I actually think that beat at the end with Boimler and Mariner really works. Like it's really sweet and the show doesn't tend to fall down that well too often. It's something you've talked about where a character will act insane through the entire episode and then be like, you know, it'll turn around. I've done this because blank. And the other character goes, Oh, well I love you for that sort of thing. And that sort of storytelling wears out its welcome Whereas I think genuine moments like this, you could keep doing them. You know, you look at a show and it's so often I fall by, uh, back on it because it's kind of the pinnacle in my life for animated TV shows. But like The Simpsons. Ren and Stimpy. Ren and Stimpy also. I mean, that show is pretty good. We should find Capital Critters. That's the one we should be referring to. Okay. <laughs> There's a deep cut, people. <laughs> or what about The Critic? That one is, I mean, Critic is genuinely good, but yeah, I don't think a lot of people remember it. Capital Critters is really obscure at this point. Okay. But I, I'm not familiar. <laughs> it was actually one of those shows that got launched in the wake of the simpsons and it was a bunch of like animals that like hung i guess like rodents or something that hung around washington dc i think that was the gist of the show it's been a long time but sounds hilarious <laughs> there's a reason it last it lasted one season but um you look at an episode like the simpsons uh or sorry you look at the simpsons and an episode like the one where like homer reunites with his mother and like the emotional power of an episode like that. It's a wacky, crazy comic show. 
but they understand that emotional beats can really work. Or the episode where we find out that, you know, Homer has all the photos of Maggie up in the power plant. I would like Lower Decks to maybe go a little more in that direction sometimes, because I think as crazy as the comedy gets, the emotional moments like this are going to be what makes fans really latch onto it long term. Well, think about it this way. I mean, the relation started where, you know, Boimler was tasked with being the snitch. Like, uh, Freeman wanted him to kind of snitch on uh, Mariner moving forward. Uh, 15 episodes in, which is the equivalent uh, of us watching, like, what, seven episodes of, like, a regular show. It, hmm. it is very clear how much their relationship has developed. And these two characters genuinely care about each other. And so that's why I'm so intrigued by where the relationship goes, knowing that... It, it is still going to have that antagonism that's so integral to that relationship as well. And this show does relationships really well. Um, we can poke holes at, you know, maybe the Tendy Rutherford story in this particular episode, but overall the relationships are really effective. And, you know, you and I were questioning um, in season three discovery, like are Tilly and Burnham even friends anymore? Like yeah. who knows? Whereas that's not something I'm concerned about with lower decks. I know that even if I don't, necessarily care about the episode that much the character journeys are going to carry through into the next episode and that is what's really effective about this show so far well remember how last week uh you're talking about how uh commander ransom like the writers need to figure out what his thing is i like how it is very obvious that boimler's thing is scants he is <laughs> all about the scants any excuse to wear scants he is there for it I mean, he's like a lot of fans who we see at the cons wearing scants. It's the sort of thing that, <laughs> because it's somewhat obscure in the world of Star Trek, only appearing in that first season of TNG, it makes it that much more desirable to emulate and to carry forward because it feels like kind of a deep cut. Do you think that uh, William Boimler, uh, just this idea of a transportation clone being out there, like I, I've got to believe that he's got to pop up, uh, you know, before the end of the season in some sort of kind of antagonistic sort of role, you know, kind of similar to the Tom and William Riker sort of role. And, and we even see Boimler try to pull a defiant. And I, I mean that, you know, the episode from season three of Star Trek uh, Deep Space Nine. Uh, in, in which uh, we have Tom Riker impersonating Will Riker. I, I think that is a funny nod to it, and I, I'm I'm very curious how their eventual reunion is going to go. Yeah, me too. I actually thought this episode was setting up a really fun comic premise where he was going to have to go and pose as William Boimler and then find out that William Boimler is just so much better than him in every way, which I thought would be a really good character discovery, but we didn't go that way. <laughs> so well, I guess we have to wait a little longer. What do you think about the possibility of Boimler being on the Cerritos and his career as a Lower Decks? And what if he finds out by, I don't know, the end of uh, season three that uh, William Boimler uh, serving on the Titan has already been promoted to lieutenant commander? He's he's on track to make captain in as much time as uh, Will Riker did, you know, like something like that. That would be kind of an intriguing like juxtaposition between those two clones. Well, and it would be the reverse of the Riker scenario where Tom Riker was, you know, regarded as inferior to William Riker. I think it would be much more comedically effective and just interesting because we haven't done that. If William Boimler turns out to be the one that really excels in Starfleet versus, you know, Bradford Boimler. Um, so, Cam, I... I, I like that we finally got a reference to chaos on the bridge the phenomenal documentary examining the first mm. 
two seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation. But we really had, uh, of course, Bariner, Mariner make the reference to when there's chaos on the bridge, no one will notice one little transporter override. Do you think, I, I mean, am I looking too deeply into this? Like for a show that makes DJ Okana references? And also has references to like um, Saru concept art. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and also the Mugatu mispronunciations that were like in like, what was it? Scripts or something? Like, I don't even remember. It wasn't even tied to the show. It was weird. Yeah, so I, I can't be crazy. Just for anyone who hasn't seen it, that documentary is fascinating to watch. It's not the best made, you know? It, it looks uh, a little hokey. Can't Remember there's this ongoing poker motif? Uh, Love it. Love yeah. it. It's great. <laughs> and I think it was made for epics, wasn't it? I, I, I don't recall. But, yeah, okay. Um... I think it was for ep- I may be wrong about that, but I think it was for epics. So it is a bit of a TV um documentary but it's a i think pretty effective one like it doesn't today i watched the um being bond um special they put out just in the uh lead up to no time to die which feels a little more of a promotional piece to get you to go see no time to die whereas like chaos on the bridge feels like just a standalone documentary with genuine insight into a specific era of star trek in a franchise that i think is actually valuable like i think fans who watch chaos on the bridge will walk away with something uh, how long until we get our uh, Chaos in the Spore Drive documentary? Oh boy, that would probably be more of like a three-hour documentary because I just think there's way too much to cover. <laughs> there's also all those non-disclosure agreements that are just so ubiquitous in today's Hollywood that I it might be decades before we get the real lowdown on what happened during the uh, first two seasons of Star Trek Discovery in terms of uh, behind-the-scenes um, writers' issues and showrunner issues. Honestly, one thing I've learned doing the Spy Hearts podcast and interviewing um, older writers who tackled movies that maybe weren't great, wait till the people who worked on Star Trek Discovery are old and don't care anymore and aren't in the industry, because then they'll really let it fly and the truth will be out there. Kind of like, honestly, Chaos on the Bridge, where it was a lot of older people commenting on the work of the past. And at that point, there's no you know, studio glaring down on them, they're free to say whatever they want. They can be very candid. Wow. Uh, Just as candid as we are on the podcast every week. Indeed, indeed. Um, I thought there were some funny in-jokes in this uh, episode, though, I just wanted to touch on. Having the sexy Riker shirt from Angel One in the store uh, display case got a, you know, smile out of me. Also, just during that chase scene where they're going through the um, aviary, um, we have the bird aliens from the animated episode, The Jihad, from the original animated series. And also the um, bouncer um, at the uh, party is like that weird green alien, also from The Jihad. I was really charmed to see that alien species back again on Star Trek. Yeah, look, um, I, I think I'm higher on this episode than you are. I just hope that uh, in the second half of the season, they can kick it up a notch, very much how we figured they would after the last half of season one. I really thought by the time we got to the halfway point of Lower Decks season two, we would have our Cupid's uh, Errant Arrow. But it seems like we're going to have to wait a little longer. I'm hoping we have another standout episode by the end of the season. But if it all holds together like what we have so far, I guess it'll be a good season, just not a great season. Yeah. Okay, so I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod. Tyler, what are we doing next time? 
Well, Cam, uh, we are going to spend uh, a full hour talking about our thoughts on Star Trek Picard. Oh, I- I'm can't sure. Wait. I'm sure the listeners aren't sick of us uh, dragging on a show that I like. I get it. Like the reason you're, you're watching Picard is because you're interested in it. So it's kind of tough if you have like hosts like just begging on a show. We don't want to be that kind of show. That's why I, I think you and I were even talking about like how we approach you know Prodigy and Discovery. We're here to kind of celebrate Star Trek and. I, I realize it can be frustrating for listeners. And so we want to find kind of that right balance between like making like insightful um, notes about a show without just being kind of the cranky uh, Statler and Waldorf characters as well. Although I think long-term listeners expect the latter. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But in all seriousness, we will be covering uh, episode six of uh, Star Trek Lower Decks season two next week. Okay. You can, of course, find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam V is in Vidians are for children. Smith. And you can find me at Reporton. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N-N as in number one. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. complete.